Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I think for us at, at Andretti uh, last year, St. Pete didn't go very well. Uh, we were pretty much four cars out, essentially. I mean, I finished a few laps down in 15th, um, and I was the best finishing car for Andretti. And that shouldn't really be the case for us on street courses. So. Um, it kind of sets the mood for the year and we want to start off on the right foot and, and kind of redeem ourselves from last year because we were at one point running one, two, three and we finished 15th, 22nd, 26th and 20 whatever it was. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we're ready for the season. We're, we're ready to go and it, it's always good to be at this place because this is kind of the warm up for everything. I don't think the cars are going to be crazy different, but they're slightly lighter. You know, lap times will, will probably reflect that just marginally. I mean, don't expect a huge jump, but, you know, there's going to be a little bit of performance there. And then I think for everybody, we're preparing for sort of the season of two halves. You know, you're going to start the year in one form, and then it's about, you know, how do we adapt to the hybrid change? And I think that's front of mind for everybody. You know, we've got to be strong in the beginning of the season, and we've got to be strong through the adaptation with the hybrid system. And that's, you know, that's the challenge in, in motorsports. You're always getting thrown new obstacles, and that's going to be the big one this year. So excited to tackle that. I think we've got the opportunity to, to make the most of it. And um, it's going to be exciting. You know, things will change, and, and we'll see how everybody reacts. Nowadays, we don't get as many test days as we would like. Um, we would always want to have a lot of test days, but honestly, it's super important when we are uh, only one week and a half out of St. Pete. Uh, we want to go through a lot of the engineering list that we've been thinking about uh, all of season. We won't have enough time, um, but uh, it's a way to get the rest of uh, the drivers, uh, just all the crew, all the team together and try and get some ideas for St. Pete. Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. Getting closer and closer, testing the last two days at Sebring International. It's race week next week. <laughs> you heard from Kyle Kirkwood, Joseph Newgarden, Alex Pillow. They were testing yesterday. Another group tested today. That's wrapped up. We've got times, even though it's essentially a private test, but with everybody there, Formula One going this week, NASCAR coming off one of the uh, most entertaining cup races we've ever seen. And the list of things we want to talk about tonight is way too long because it would be time for our first break. So, Kurt, let's just get into it. How I, are you? I think it's I'm great. And I did see a great NASCAR race. Uh, Atlanta's never really been one of my favorite places. It is fast, but to see three wide and and Suarez in the middle of it and Blaney and and the rest of the guys, it was just a very entertaining race. And we are what? 10 days, 12 days from, from cars rolling off the, through the paddock at St. Pete. We're excited about that. We now know what we think, or we think we know now what the field looks like. We're going to get into that tonight. I've got a similar we list. 
<laughs> well, as clear as mud. And so yeah. we'll we'll go with what we think we know. That's that's always a good, safe place for us to go. Remember, this is a radio show. And if we mess it up, well, you can't go back and listen to it unless you got the podcast. Wait a minute. There, unless you have podcast, the podcast, though. Yeah. Now, back in the day, you could really do that on a radio show. And it would take someone sitting and recording things to go back and call you on your predictions. One of my favorite. So I'm always behind on things. Uh, one of the shows I, I watch because it's kind of how I get the news is pardon the interruption. And sometimes I'm watching it several days late and the amount of things Michael Wilbon says with great authority that are going to happen. And the percentage of times that actually happen is minuscule, <laughs> but, but what's what he, why he's good is that he says it with authority and conviction and Pretends like he's smarter than everyone else. And that's how you do it. That's how you make millions of dollars on television. You cannot be afraid of being wrong. You must embrace being wrong as Colin Cowherd has done. Yeah, Colin's millions doing that. And that's why I'm not doing a talk show every day. I'm not saying I'm right all the time or even anywhere close to all the time. I'm wrong almost as much. But I don't think I'm as loud wrong as the people getting paid a lot of money to do this are. Well, we have a we have this show once a week, so we have time for a reset. And it just seems that the news ferry delivers often on a Tuesday, partly because we got smart enough not to go on Thursday. We used to have this show on Thursday, then sometimes it was on Monday. But Tuesdays felt like a great day. And the news ferry listens to the show, tries to offer news on this particular day and so you know we're we're not necessarily wrong we may be just a, just getting the story as uh, as the news ferry delivers it well and i did my part today because i was responsible for timing a press release for a driver that lives in my house that is moving up to a higher level in imsa and we were gonna send it out later and i said no it's got to be tuesday so it was sent out at 5 p.m on tuesday so we'll get into that <laughs> coming up a little bit later on but uh, okay, let's start with, because we want to talk about what's happening with David Malukas's seat and the two coin seats and Indy 500. Uh, I've got some thoughts on what's left and available there. Two days of testing at Sebring International. Not everybody on the same day, and a lot of that is just because that is a very small track. There is a finite amount of cars that you want on that track. We're talking 51, 52, 52, 53 second laps. So that kind of gives you an idea. That's 12 shorter than what most everything else is. And obviously half of, of some others. So you want to split it up uh, half of them, basically yesterday, half of them today track is typically better on day two. So don't necessarily go by, well, as we always say, too, people are working on different things and testing. You know, it depends on when you made your new tire run. Uh, three sets of tires per day. <laughs> so one of the stories is who Dale Coyne is going to have. And yesterday, Jack Harvey, you would think they want to be on the track all they can. They didn't even go out in the morning session. And the answer became, well, because we only have three sets of tires. So yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm sure that, Teams feel this way too. You know, I, I get that you want to limit uh, the expenses and teams are often their well, worst enemy. 
you know, so you have to protect them from themselves of overspending. But the tires, relatively speaking, are not super high on the list of expenses when you transport down to Florida. That's the expense. Hotels are massively expensive. Flights are expensive. I'll admit it. In, unless there is just a, still a supply issue, and and we can't, which might be the case, because I know that's the case in a lot of racing series, but I don't get why this much money has been spent on testing and you're not rolling out another, I don't know what a set of tires cost. I know what they cost in the road to Indy. They're about $1,650 a set. So double or triple that is probably what we're talking about that. Probably more in the triple to quadruple that. It's expensive, but I think every team would say, yes, I'd like to spend another ten grand and have two more sets of tires, and let's run the entire time that we're down there. So got off on an aside a little bit. That comes from <laughs> yeah. someone that's looked at the budget of how race teams work and how expensive all the other stuff is. Uh, but the point being there is is you can't put everything into these testing times. And today's times were going to be a little bit quicker. Marcus Erickson ended up the fastest, and they're so tight. So you're talking he was a half a tenth faster than Will Power, barely faster than Pato Award in his number five car, he was also in the number six car, which I think was yesterday. So he was in his five car today. That's and Felix correct. Rosenquist, Graham Ray Hall, Alex Pillow was sixth, but he was the fastest yesterday. And Christian Lungard, Joseph Newgarden, Kiffin Simpson was ninth quick overall. That was done today when there's more rubber on the track and it might be a little bit better than Linus Lundquist. On and on down the line. I think what we want to look at first, Dale Coyne. So since we've last spoken, someone asked me on Sunday, hey, are we going to find out about Dale Coyne? And I said, well, I would think we'll find out something today or tomorrow, at least who's going to be in their car for the test, because they cannot skip this, like they skipped the hybrid testing last week. And then within an hour, Jack Harvey in the car Monday, Colin Brown, who was a guest on our show a month or so ago, and you can go back to that. And actually, you can see a lot of those quotes, Nathan Brown, Credit to him, sourced us. Thank you, Nathan, uh, for the quotes to, to kind of quickly turn that story around in the Indianapolis Star, either on Sunday or Monday. But Colin got a chance today. Uh, Colin was a tenth or so faster than Jack Harvey, and that's where I mentioned the difference in the days. So it's not fair to say Colin was quicker than Jack Harvey because the track is generally better on day two. Uh, both were last in their groups. I think Jack was a little closer to next to last than Colin, but I'll start with this. This guy's never driven an Indy car. To be in the ballpark, because he's at minimum in the ballpark, and if you want to argue it that way, you can say he was faster than his teammate, which is the way you were measured, is mighty, mighty impressive. And it, it shows you why a lot of people have been um, saying that this guy needs a chance for the last 15 years. Absolutely. And, you know, there was, you know, do they have all their engineering lined up? You know, this is, you know, I no, know they the, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't. And so let's just keep in mind, this is kind of the first day of school for that whole organization. And, and look, there are other teams that haven't been testing either, but I would suspect everybody else in the field, every other entry has been on track at some point. Wouldn't wouldn't you say? Is everybody been on track? 
So this was the first day of, of school for Dale Coyne. The point is, I wouldn't I put... I think so. The only other one would be... Had Hunkos? Yeah, because almost everybody went to Homestead yeah, right after Daytona. I think so. I believe everyone had been on track. Not everyone has had the hybrid, which we'll get to, but some of them have been on track a lot. You know, Penske, Ganassi, and then to a lesser extent, McLaren and Andretti have had extra time in a car working on the hybrids last fall and here in the last few weeks. So I wouldn't judge Jack or Colin just yet uh, because I think it's, it's a, to me, that's a really good pairing. I, I like this pairing. Uh, I think Jack has, is, um, you know, kind of due for, a, for a real season. Um, you know, he's had a, you know, he's had some good, good runs, but I hope Jack's on the way back, so to speak, to, to, you know, resuming his career. And I, you know, I've thought a lot of Colin for a long time, just wanted to see him get a chance. So I like this pairing. It's interesting to me, by the way, for those that might ask Colin's 35 years old. So you talk about rookies. We had Canapino last year. He's older than Canapino is. So, and it's not even comparable from the standpoint of experience, you know, Colin's got a lot of experience in very similar type cars, just not just not an open wheel car. You know, he's got a lot of great high end IMSA sports car. What has he won? Three championships at different levels in IMSA. Uh, been a Rolex 24 winner at the highest level. So he's got a lot of of, of big time experience in the States and in sports car racing where, you know, Canapino really had none if you'll compare it to to what he's been doing touring cars in in argentina so i expect colin to be good i didn't expect him to be great the first couple days and you know it's still going to take some time and we you know i guess what's next is we got to find out if jack and colin are the cars are the drivers of the cars come st pete next week so here's my guesstimate as to what's going to happen there and what is happening at dale coin racing uh i don't believe that Colin Brown brings budget with him. He is getting a chance because of the reasons that we mentioned and also because of circumstance. Yeah. Know, honestly, because Dale doesn't have anyone that he is enthused about that brings budget. So I think his opportunity is going to be as long as no one else shows up that is competent, that brings budget. Uh, Jack might have some budget. I, I think he he has in the past. He has not needed to use that with, you know, his network of partners the last few years. But I suspect he's raised a little bit because you got to think at it from Dale's perspective. It's it costs ten million dollars a year per car to do it at the highest level, and then you can cut some corners and do some different things, and maybe it's four or five million per entry. So you got to come up with $10 million minimum or he's making up the difference. And he has been known to help make up the difference over the years through his various companies. I think what Dale Coyne is going to do is he's going to use the Indy 500 to collect as much budget as he can and then hopefully collect a little bit of budget with some various races throughout the year. So one of those would be if the many conversations from many different sources about Nolan Siegel are correct, there is a talented young driver that brings budget. And that's why, if that happens, I have to believe Nolan is going to be one of the Indy 500 drivers 
and do a couple of other races that don't conflict with Indy next races. Uh, Jack, if he has budget, would contest some others. And if he has budget, my guess is Jack is the other Indy 500 driver, but that might depend on how much budget he's bringing. If it's not a whole lot, you know, say it's a million and a half. Uh, Dale Coyne could say, all right, for a million and a half, I'm going to let you do 13 races, which is a really good deal. But I need to sell that Indy 500 seat. So then we go back to that list of drivers that we think that are out there that could have some budget, like Catherine Legg, who is a favorite of Honda and is not going to have a place at Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan this year. Maybe it's J.R. Hildebrand, because we don't think A.J. Foyt Racing is running an extra car. Maybe it's Stefan Wilson. Maybe it's Simona Di Silvestro with Peretta Autosport. Um, I'm even forgetting, you know, maybe it's a Calamilot. If if somebody, I doubt it, because I don't think he has any budget attached to him, but, but somebody in that manner. And because there are very, very few seats, I think there, if Siegel is in one seat... And if Jack Harvey is not confirmed, there are at max two Indy 500 seats available. One of the coin seats, I don't see any way they're able to run three cars. So what you'd really love to do is you'd like to just, you know, do a, somebody does an extra car and you split up the rest of the races around. But I don't think that's going to be an option. I think Dale Coyne is going to have two entries because Honda is at its limit. The other potential opening would be Able Motorsports. I know a lot of people think that's R.C. Enerson, and it might be R.C. Enerson, but until I see that announcement, I'm going to consider that one open. And the reason I consider it open, because I hear there are drivers with pretty decent budgets. So where are they going to end up? So those are the two. So that makes that price go up potentially a little bit more for Dale Coyne. What if Enerson is already set with Abel. And this is the last one. Name your price. You want to be in the Indy 500. Uh, this is your chance. Now, it's no guaranteed chance because there are 35 cars going for 33 spots. I think that's the number that we're going to be looking at. Back to Colin Brown. I don't know how many he will do, but my guess is he's got a chance to do the ones that are not sold is essentially how that works out. Uh, so it could be Maybe it's Jack Harvey full season in one car and Colin does all that Nolan Siegel can't do. Or it's, hey, Colin, we can't tell you how many we're going to do because if somebody comes around with budget and wants to do three or four races, we're going to give that to them. But, you know, this is yours now. All you need to bring is your helmet. By the way, Colin Brown, I think, would be more than competent. I think it'd be actually easier for him to do the Indy 500. I believe he holds the speed record at Daytona. He does. Right? On the he oval. Does. He he ran a, a an IMSA car there uh, with Michael Shank, whatever it was, 10 or 15 years ago, and went 225 or 226 miles an hour or something like that. And he has done a decent amount of NASCAR racing. So he'd be fine at the Indy 500, but I'd be surprised if he got that opportunity because Dale is going to need – to make up some of the budget by selling those Indy 500 seats. So, so there's my best guesses there. Several things in there. Um, I think I think Colin ran five years of NASCAR truck and Xfinity. So that's more than just a little bit. You and know? one. And, and, and one. 
and one. So, you know, there's a lot of experience there. And I was just mentioning the sports car stuff, but certainly the Xfinity and truck series uh, experience that he has is high level. And I agree with you. I, now, I don't want to get into a debate about it. You've talked about it uh, to some degree, maybe off the record more so than on the show. But Colin does have some some backing within his sports car team. He's got a, a pretty wealthy uh, partner in the sports car program. Uh, so it isn't out of the question that he didn't have some kind of funding to bring to the organization. Uh, you can touch on that maybe in a minute. My, my hope was George Kurtz was going to pay for this. But so I've not asked Colin directly on or off the record about this. The impression I get from talking to others is that he's a driver available for hire. I agree. I don't think George is one of those guys that, no, if I'm going to pay for it, I'm going to drive. And so George is the CEO of CrowdStrike, which, by the way, you have seen on Lewis Hamilton's cars. And that is a pretty penny. This is a, you know, somebody could Google that, but this is a billion dollar company or something like that. George is very, very successful and drives all manner of cars. And I'm going to guess pays Colin quite nicely to be his coach and his teammate. So I'm sure Colin doesn't want to ask him and won't ask him. Uh, but there is that slight possibility of uh, that. And, I just but it would throw come that. from George saying, no, I want you to be in the Indy 500. I don't think that's the case, but no, I cannot rule that out. I cannot rule that out that that wouldn't be happening. We'll we'll watch for a crowd strike sticker on the car come next week. So yeah, yeah. that's a possibility. The other word that I thought you used very appropriately in talking about the two coin drivers is Dale likes to have, and you can go back through his history of fielding drivers. He likes to be enthused. I think that's a good word that you used. You know, he understands the economics of the sport and somebody's going to have to pay for it. And sometimes he'll dip into the pocket of his companies and make that happen. And it probably happens more often even than I realize. But he does like to be enthused. And he's been enthused by several drivers along the way. And my guess is he's enthused about Jack Harvey and Colin Brown. That's a that's a pretty good talent for, and experience when Dale has had guys at times who were neither that talented or that experienced. So he's getting a pretty good group of a pretty good pairing for this early part of the season. I agree with you. I think Colin is coming into this uh, with the idea that I've been promised an opportunity. I got the chance to prove something. I don't know whether I'm getting one race, four races, 10 races. I don't know whether I'm getting the Indy 500. And right now, and by right now, I mean for the next 10 to 12 days, I'm not sure he cares. He's he's doing well as a, as a sports car driver. He surely will want to know what he's doing, but he, he wants a shot. He wants well, a else. chance. He kicked off a bucket list today. He had not driven an Indy car before. Absolutely. Now he has. So I don't. You know, and I again, I know Colin really well. He isn't of the personality that it's about me. He's not an ego guy. He wants opportunities. He knows he's talented. He's got he's been groomed from this for this situation for years upon years. In fact, I've got a video. I may want to get it to you so you can share it. The very first time he was in a in a go-kart 
uh, a little mini go-kart when he was like four years old and he's talking to his dad and maybe, maybe only three years old. His dad, and, by the way, is a brilliant engineer. So he's brilliant around too. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and so, um, so to get that video clip would be, would be good uh, on television because he, you can just hear his little squeaky little voice. I'm ready. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. And he's all, he's all stoked. And they were in their backyard track in, in uh, West Texas. So that's, that's great to, to talk about. So Colin's very talented. And, and like I said, I think Dale being enthused, I think he is. I mean, I haven't talked to Dale um, so I think that's that's important to note, and and that's why these two guys are interesting. And I don't know if you mentioned Benjamin Peterson. I wrote two names down that I need to mention, and that's one of them that I still and, need to mention as possibilities for that team. That's so one. I don't know about Devlin in that Devlin De Francesco in that situation, but but I think Benjamin Peterson I wouldn't rule out either. I, I for Indy for Indy. Yeah, and and for another case, if the able seat is still open, I think you should throw both of those names in the category because they are drivers that likely have budget. My guess is at this point that Devlin D. Francesco is looking at all right. I'm doing he's doing five sports car races, so he's going to be fairly busy this year. But I'm sure he'd still like to do the Indy 500 if he found the right circumstance. That could be with Dale Coyne. Uh, or it could be if another opportunity comes around. Uh, so someone told me today that the Benjamin, I said, I've not seen anything on social media from Benjamin, but I don't check Instagram that often. I'm told he has posted on Instagram, just not on Twitter since the welcome to uh, the team stingray, but there has been a sighting. My son Jackson saw him come into uh, fast times recently and, you know, do some fun go-kart racing uh, so he's, he's still in town or at least oh, yeah. was I, recently. I have, <laughs> I'll use the word dined. Uh, we were at the next table <laughs> in speedway, probably, I don't know, three weeks ago. Uh, so he's around on and I hesitated to use the word chatted because hello is chatting, but it's probably not really a full description of, of the conversation we had. Uh, so just, just long enough to say hello and, and move on to get our food. So he's around and I would expect him to show up at some point. I think if there were more seats available, I might feel more comfortable in saying he was a, a possibility for the 500. If you've got just two seats, if indeed that's the the math, I don't know that I see him either place, but I wouldn't rule it out either place either. And I don't know if, I, I don't know if there is any legal action between him and AJ Foyt. But that if there is, that could complicate things because sure. their argument may be, no, I've got a contract. I am an AJ Foyt racing driver. And if you go and sign with another team, that might hurt your cause in that. Uh, I wouldn't think it would because they're not going to give you a car, but who knows? There are just a lot of layers involved in all of that. So with, you know, just only a testing announcement and not a race announcement, you know, it makes sense. Dale Coyne can't sign i wouldn't think i would not sign colin brown to run a race until i've seen him in an indy car so they've kind of ticked that off at worst he's competent now the hard part is it's one thing to come in and we see this in people that do crossovers good race car drivers are good race car drivers it's one thing to get in the ballpark and be you know within a few tenths of everybody jimmy johnson for example it was one thing for jimmy johnson to get in the ballpark 
finding that next three, four, five tenths that you need to be mid-pack is a lot harder. And then finding the other five tenths that you need to be at the front is a different story. So it's not a given, but this is a really good start. And if the options, you know, there can't be any other option for St. Pete. Because I would have think Dale would have had him in the car. So that'd be my best guess that it's Jack Harvey and Colin Brown in the car at St. Pete. Because again, if the trucks even come home, they're leaving a week from today. If not before, they may be leaving on Monday. They probably just stay down there. I would think, yeah. Plan. I would I would hope that they don't make the drive all the way back to outside Chicago in that case. Uh, so that's that. And then we'll need more information on what happens after that. But that's our best guess as to what's going to happen with Dale Coin Racing. Now, for the other seat that is not confirmed, at least as far as I know at this point, is the fill-in for David Malukas. When we last chatted last week, we knew that Callum Eilat was going to be in the Malukas car for the hybrid test, and it did not appear that it was going to be logistically possible for him to do this test that wrapped up today and also yesterday at Sebring because he was to be testing in the Porsche hypercar in somewhere in the Middle East. Um, I forget where it was. Qatar. Qatar. Qatar for the World Endurance Championship, their official preseason prologue, their, their spring training. Maybe could have been done. Well, then it became a definitely could not be done because they had freight issues. The cars could not all get there in time, so they pushed that back two days. So it happened yesterday and today, or at least Monday and Tuesday. They're many hours different than us, but it just wasn't physically possible. He was still on track, whatever, 12, 16 hours ago or something like that, and didn't make it back. But here's why we believe, and we got our answer, even though it's not been announced if he's driving the car at St. Pete. So it first was announced he'll be doing the hybrid test, which was at Homestead last week. And then we'll let you know who's in the car at Sebring. And then they said Pato Award would drive his car. He'd drive his car and then drive Malukas's car. Turns out it went the other way. So that tells us they have their answer because if they were thinking about Connor Daly or anyone else, they surely would have had that driver in that car to shake the rust off and learn some things for St. Petersburg. And this made great sense, uh, you know, cause we wondered would Zach Veach do it. And I think that could have been beneficial to the team, but it's more beneficial when there's limited testing to let Pato do an extra day. So he got two full days of testing he is presumably your top championship contender. Certainly, he was your highest finisher by far in the championship last year. So to me, that tells us all we need to know. I don't need to wait for the release. Callum Eilat will be in the car at St. Petersburg coming up in a week and a half. You know, when we talked about this last week and and we talked about Callum being available and would they put somebody else in the car, I don't know why neither one of us thought – why wouldn't you just run Pato two days and get him an extra day? Yeah, yeah. We didn't. Sense. We didn't. We didn't come to that conclusion. We should have. So, anyway, yeah. um, that's that. And I agree with you. I think Pato running both days tells me they have their driver for for uh, for St. Pete, 
and it's somebody that they've already seen in the car this year because last year would I mean you could say well who did they run last year or the year before now that doesn't matter who did they just have in the car and they had a had a Kylum Callum Eilat they've seen all they need to see he'll be in the car you know we always say that the testing time shouldn't tell us anything but if you kind of look at it and especially if you look at the bottom Honestly, the people that are at the bottom are kind of the people that we think are probably going to be at the bottom, or at least have been at the bottom. You've got the coin team, which, as we have discussed, had not had the car on track, drivers still learning each other. The reason they didn't run two cars at the same time is apparently they don't have two engineers right now. So they're kind of sharing a lot of resources right now. So they are last and next to last. Stingray Rob is right ahead of them. That's kind of where the Foyt team has been, unfortunately, for the last little while. Then Augustine Canapino is right in front of him. Tom Blumquist is right in front of him. He is going through a transition and trying to figure this all out. Pietro Fittipaldi is next in that range. After that, you know, there are a few surprises here and there. You know, I wouldn't worry too much about Scott McLaughlin showing up 20th. And by the way, he was a day one tester in that situation. But, you know, it does that is something that stuck out. The people that we fear are potentially going to be in the back of qualifying are the ones that were in the back of these timesheets over the two days. Positively, or, or a positive note, Felix Rosenquist was fourth in the Meyer yeah. Shank car. Good for him. Good for them. Good That's for all of them. Great things that I'm looking forward to this year because everyone feels like Felix Rosenquist is better than what his results have shown. And Felix has said this. I just got to put races together. You know, mm -hmm. he, some of it's been on him he will admit that when i've been fast i've made a mistake something has gone wrong uh sometimes it's not been his fault but sometimes it has and that that all adds up all right a lot of other things we want to get into oh you know one other thing i, I want to make sure i mention one of my most pleasing things i saw on social media so i had heard this i don't know how much had been said publicly i saw barry wanzer in pictures with alex oh, good. Okay. Barry is is the long, one of the many team managers with Chip Ganassi Racing. I kind of asked quietly around the holidays how he's doing, and it was said, you know, we'll, we'll probably say something eventually, but it was, yeah, things are going really good. Uh, I don't know the definition. I don't know if he's fully clear. I don't think anything has been said, but Barry had some serious health challenges last fall and had to miss the championship race. And I think he's been around the team more than just at this test. I think he uh, is potentially back to work. Don't quote me on that. I don't know everything for certain, but um, just great to see him. So I'm hoping all the best for Barry as he continues his comeback. And I know the team is happy to have him along as well. All right, coming up in a little bit, we'll tell you, uh, I saw a good one on LinkedIn. I went to the profile of craig hampson and it said tending my garden we'll explain what that means and more coming up in just a moment on track whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you side Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
Hi, this is Rians VK, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, we're going to bounce around a little bit now. Uh, I've got a lot of notes. Kurt, as you know, I tend to just, as I see things over the last week, I copy-paste. I'll have thoughts at 10.30 at night while I'm watching TV, and I'll just put a little note down. It's one of the reasons I like doing the show. It's just uh, a, a way for me to have a little bit of an outlet. So I haven't put things in order, so we're just going to have some open thoughts now for quite a while because the news fairy has been delivering over the last six days or so. So I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, one of the, the burning questions I think of this off season are some free agent engineers that are really big. And a lot of us have always said, I think I might hire a Craig Hampson type before I go pick my driver. That's just as important and we knew he left Errol McLaren at the end of the last season. We didn't know where he was ending up. And I, I have said, I assume he has a non-compete, just like Gavin Ward had when he left Penske and had to wait until middle of July before uh, joining Errol McLaren. And, you know, we've talked about a few opportunities. And, and I think I've mentioned that I thought, and then I've heard since, that he was going to end up at Andretti, but I've not mentioned that definitively because I didn't have a great source of that being the case. I didn't have Craig. I didn't have anybody at Andretti telling me that. Well, Nathan Brown at the Indianapolis store star got someone to tell him that is he trusts enough. And he posted that on Twitter today that Craig will be joining Andretti in uh, at some point which takes me to my other story. This was still something I was wondering about and happened to look on LinkedIn to somebody had a post. I don't even remember what it was, and I liked it. And then sometimes you see then the comments that other people have. And Craig happened to comment on it. And then I said, oh, I click Craig. Curious, what does his bio say now? Where does it say he works? And it said... Tending my garden, which <laughs> gardening leave is a Formula One term that they call a um, not allowed to work for any one type of situation. You know, it just, just means you have a non-compete clause is kind of what we use in the broadcast industry and I think what most in America use. So tending my garden. So Nathan's tweet today said, I, I believe it said, I don't have it in front of me. We don't know when he starts with Andretti, but it is he will be there at some point. So this is a good get. This is a good get. Yes. Uh, and if he, you know, helps their program at Indy, they that's probably the one spot that over the last couple of years they could uh, stand some improvement after being so good there for so long. Uh, it it will be nice if the Andretti group is is in the mix. We obviously know that that uh, Marcus Erickson is really good at Indy finishing first and second the last two years. I can also say, and I think you would, you would second me on this. Kyle Kirkwood ran a pretty good race last year and was, was in that top 10 when Felix Rosenquist spun coming off turn one and spun down in toward turn two, they were both in the top 10 at that point. And then Kirkwood was collected, you know, went into the wall pretty hard so he he was turning quick laps in the last quarter of the race. And we know Colton Hurt, Colton Herta's talent is supreme. It's a matter of time before he's in the lead group at Indy. You just expect it at some point. So, you know, he's he's gonna be 
Craig will be an impactful person on that organization come May. You know, he's as if a young he's, engineer. If he is in May. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's possible because Gavin had to wait until July. So it just depends on the, the length of this. Um, Craig was the guy who spearheaded what Newman Haas was doing when they were winning more than half the races for Sebastian Bourdais and then had a, a good successful stint at Andretti and with other teams. And remember when Dale Quine racing was so fast at the Indy 500, that was Craig Hampson. And he's been successful since. So this is a huge get. He's not an, on a car. He is going to be the senior Indy car engineer is what Nathan tweets. And then he asked a question or answered a question that someone asked. Well, wait a minute. I thought Eric, Eric Bretzman had a similar title. And Nathan said, I'm told Eric's role as Andretti's technical director remains unchanged, but he looks after all the teams under the Andretti global umbrella. So Craig's hiring gives him some more support on the Indy car side. You always have room for people like Craig Hampson and Eric Bretzman and all the rest. And some of it is you got to keep up with Aaron McLaren because they're hiring a lot of talented people too. So there's a lot of competition involved. And don't forget, Andretti also provides the engineering for Meyer Shank Racing. So they need more engineers. They always have room for engineers to kind of help oversee the the situation. So happy to hear that. You know, there's some others that teams will probably be releasing here in the next little while, what some changes are going to be. So not only do we want to find out who the three TBA drivers are for St. Pete, we'll get some confirmation on who some engineers are, some chief mechanics, some things like that. So that's one bit of news that we can click off here. Uh, next item up for bids <laughs> The greatest spectacle in motorsports. So I texted you this last Wednesday or Thursday and basically said, your office is going to have to deal with this again. And I don't think anybody really noticed it for a couple of days in, in the mainstream media, but I tend to have the TV on here in my office, which is sometimes the couch with my laptop and sports center is on in the background running in a loop and happened to see the Formula One promo and hear a clip of someone on a broadcast or on the PA saying greatest spectacle in motorsports. And for those that have been paying attention, and by the way, this is on the heels of NASCAR posting on social media. What was the exact phrase that they used about a week or so ago? Was, wasn't that... Racing capital, or was that greatest spectacle? I have. I think they used greatest spectacle. In I think race. they did too. I so, think they did too. Very close. NASCAR deleted that. I think before even IndyCar or IMS said anything. And I agree with what I've heard. This is the. It's not Steve Phelps running the NASCAR Twitter handle. It's someone that's twenty-four years old. That is freshly out of college and probably that's a cool line. Let's use this and doesn't really get into it. So I do buy that. This is not a sinister plot to steal from us. I think there is a decent chance that this is just an error by someone that is in a somewhat entry level position. Now you're talking, that's not to say all social media posts are entry level positions because you know, the people that are good at this, do get paid well for it. And the organizations that value that have people with 
strict strategies. So it's possible this was just poking the bear a little bit, but I'm not going to eliminate that possibility. You're talking about the NASCAR one, not I'm the Formula the one. one. The Formula One Formula was different. Formula One has been um, taken a task. Ind IndyCar a couple of times was annoyed that Formula One was using that phrase. They had LL Cool J say it in a scripted comment uh, in driver intros somewhere last year. Miami, Greatest I spectacle think. in motorsports. I think that was is, Miami. My Just a slight change, but everything and anybody with any legal knowledge has said, no, it, this is a open and shut case for IMS. They retain the right to anything close to greatest spectacle if it involves motorsports. So Formula One said, sorry, we won't do it again. And then this comes up. Now, here was my thought. I didn't think this was Formula One. What I thought this was, and what it sounds like it was, this was an ESPN-produced promo using footage that they have from Formula One. And ESPN, just today, is now airing a different promo that has different words. I do think it's possible that this, again, is a someone in production that doesn't know the difference. And... They have not been told to not do this before. And they're going through audio clips and, oh, that's cool, because you're looking for wow lines. You you get those in television promos all of the time. So it's possible. But here's the other thing I told you. If, if it's intentional, how do you approach this if you're IMS? Because I think you almost want to tread lightly with ESPN, because if you make them mad... Yes, you're right. IMS is right. They own this, and they could sue ESPN. ESPN might then come back and say, okay, you're never going to see a highlight of IndyCar and the Indy 500 on SportsCenter again. And they barely show any to begin with. Uh, so so I'm sure IMS took a delicate approach and just said, hey, this is probably somebody that didn't know the difference, but did you know that this is our copyright? And then ESPN came back. Oh, we didn't know. Sorry. I don't know who did that. We'll change it. Well, ignorance is not a defense. Uh, and I can't imagine that something made the air like that in a promo without somebody of very high seniority not seeing it. Somebody not reviewing it. How many somebody people over there think no. Do you think know anything about IndyCar racing that are going to approve that? Somebody would have had to seen it. Um, it, regardless, the only Maybe. thing I, the only thing I told you was, I don't think I expected IMS officials to make the point. Oh, and, you still have to make the point. You got to put a stop to it. It's just and they in put the a manner that message is delivered. I agreed. I mean, look, the people, Doug Bowles, professional as they come. Yeah. He, he has tact, yes, but he, he also has lawyers, <laughs> And and the as lawyers, does Disney. as does Disney. And and my point was, it'll get clear, you know, it'll get cleared up. And uh, according to Nathan Brown's story, it did. So there we go. Who knows whether it was intentional or not, because you know what it did do? Say it was intentional. It did let people that may not have been aware that Formula One starts this weekend know that Formula One is this weekend. So mission accomplished, right? Yeah. Yeah. Saturday race, by the way. I mentioned this in the last segment last week, but make note, check your listings 
because of Ramadan starting uh, the first two Formula One weekends, the race is even our time on Saturday. There, Saturday morning Formula One races the next two weekends. So non, no conflict with St. Pete. That's good. St. Pete is the time change day again, isn't it? So let's don't I think it is, that. yeah. I don't like that. That means feeling like you're getting up really, really early for, you know, I think warm-up is probably at 9 a.m. That'll feel like 8 o'clock, but, hey, makes it easier to get up early if you have a good reason going to the racetrack. Uh, let's see. All right, next thing is going to take a little more time. So I'm going to save that. We're going to preview hour number two coming up in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5. 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, coming up in the second hour, the snake is no more. We'll get into that and what happens if you do dip below the white line and head down to the pit lane. We'll wonder about that and other stuff. Um, news about some some changes at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, some upgrades. You know I love me some video boards, and we've got some more of those coming. And one of my favorite spots in the track, those mounds and road course sections, one, two, three. We'll give you some details on that. Several other stories going around, too. What's the latest with electric vehicles and how it applies to not only motorsports, but also transportation in general? And much more. And I know, Kurt, there's something that you wanted to touch on. Well, yeah, we're, you know, we're an Indianapolis-based station, and we lost uh, Mark Ambrogi, who's one of the veteran journalists uh, who have covered the Indy 500 for years, worked at the Indianapolis Star, now works for the paper in Carmel. Uh, he's a member of the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association Hall of Fame. He lost his wife yesterday. And I thought, you know, Mark's a terrific writer. And I thought I just would well, how how he ended the column in the in the Carmel paper uh, today was perfect. So I just think it applies to all of us. So here's what Mark writes in lieu of flowers. I know Donna would just say, be kind to others, reject those who divide us, take a mental health day when needed, hold your loved ones close, and go ahead and schedule that trip now. She she died at, uh, Donna was 64 years old. Godspeed to her and to the Ambrogi family, and we look forward to uh, to better times ahead. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mark is a wonderful person, and people in Indianapolis sports media, very familiar with Mark over the years. All right, hour two coming up in a moment on Trackside. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. For me, May is special. Welcome, race fans around the world. 
two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion, Joseph Newgarden. 500 miles, 33 drivers, and one guaranteed place in history. May is for the spectacle. This is the Indianapolis 500! May is speed, passion, and pageantry. May is tradition. 300,000 fans continuing a tradition that has stretched for more than a century. May is epic. Joseph Newgarden will win the Indianapolis 500! But most of all, May is yours. Joseph Newgarden into the crowd! May is ours. It's hour it number May two. Yet? Trackside 93.5, 107.5, the fan. That is the reigning winner of the Indianapolis 500, Joseph Newgarden, and the latest piece that is essentially a commercial, a social media promotion. Unlike uh, last year when you didn't recognize the voice of David Letterman, did you know this one was Joseph Newgarden, Kurt? I did. I did. Okay. <laughs> so it served a better purpose because they, they maybe, I, I doubt they paid David money. He probably did it as a favor but in general david could have charged a whole lot of money to do that and not everyone recognizes voices the way some of us that have been in radio for a long time do we recognize joseph newgarden's voice we do maybe not everyone does but in this case for the television and social media aspect you see joseph newgarden and yeah. it's it's it just seems appropriate that he goes sit in the stands over there where he climbed and got into the stands after winning the greatest race in the world last year. You know what occurred to me, and that's because I've I've been in so many of the seats at the Speedway. I've I've counted all the seats, so I've literally been in every row at the Speedway. But I wondered how many times a driver who starts an Indy 500 has never actually sat in some of the seats. Uh, I'm sure Joseph saw some races early in his life before he became a a famous IndyCar driver, but you just wonder, I you know, I think I've, the rate would be pretty high that people that have not sat in the stands for, for even just a, an afternoon. I bet there is a great chance that the first time Joseph came to IMS, you know, for a lot of these drivers, it's when they're in Indy lights, when they're around there running the freedom 100. So it, cause remember he had been in Europe for what? A couple of years. Before um, yeah. 2011. 2011 was the year that he did the Indy Lights and won the championship. The year before, if not the year before that, he was in Europe. Um, so, yeah, I actually, I actually don't know. I need to ask him. I probably have it in my notes because I always ask people that each year. And I know Joseph, Joseph has been in my Indy 500 section. You know, what's your first memory of that? But for a lot of them, it's, yeah, I came in Indy Lights, and I was on the pit lane. You know, I had a credential. I wasn't really experiencing it like a fan like that. So yeah. that's cool. So, yeah, it was a great commercial. Uh, hats off to the to the folks that put that together, and it, it really resonates with Joseph doing it. So, And it was easy to tell who was voicing uh, the commercial. He will be in Indianapolis, let's see, this week, Thursday, to unveil next year's ticket. And my understanding, this is open to the public. Fans are welcome to attend the ticket unveil. It's going to be next to the Children's Museum. Uh, it's going to actually be at a Shell station 
near the Indianapolis Children's Museum Thursday, February 29th at 2 o'clock. Fans are welcome, what's it say, to watch from the parking garage facing the Shell gas station. So they they preferred the uh, not bombard the Shell station, kind of leave that open there, but there's a, a perch basically up high. I spent a lot of days at the Children's Museum. Me too. Uh, from, Me too. Let's see, from probably about 2005 through 2017, I'm going to guess I've spent about three total months at the Children's Museum. It was one of our favorite places. Uh, free parking is available there, so if you want to get a chance to see Joseph and wave to him, there you go. That's coming up on Thursday. Yeah, that's great. It's uh, you know, Shell's one of their sponsors, so you know everything about that is just cool. And Joseph's still very much a kid at heart, so being next to the Children's Museum is just kind of perfect. Okay, we'll continue talking about Joseph Newgarden because the headline was kind of attached to him, and I felt for Joseph. In this case. So this is something that, you know, both you and I have been in that camp of, I don't really like, I get weaving and trying to break the draft, but where it really, to me, literally crossed the line was going down the pit lane with the attenuator, the the wall that separates the track and the pit lane. I felt that was, and many smarter than me feel that's very dangerous, especially for the trailing cars and should be able to be officiated. There is a line there that you should be able to do in some case. And last year was not the first time that it happened. It started, I didn't know this. Some, uh, I think one of the stories I read mentioned Montoya did it a little bit in 15. Pagano took it to a definite strategy and had been planning it out. And then Marcus Erickson did the same and Joseph Newgarden did the same. And it seems to get a little more extreme and a little bigger weave. From Joseph's standpoint, you know, some of the headlines might almost make you think that, all right, we couldn't penalize him at the time, but Joseph Newgarden wasn't doing things the right way. So we're outlawing his move. And now it was made clear if you read the stories, no, 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 Joseph Newgarden did nothing wrong. He was well within the rules, but we're changing the rules moving forward. But I guess my point I wanted to make is, he wasn't the first to do this. It's been happening for a little while. He just happens to be the most recent. So people are referring it to the Joseph Newgarden rule in some cases being outlawed. It was a little more egregious, though, than than, it was. than the others. It, it went to the next extreme. I mean, I have a photo that was taken, and I believe I've shared it with you. If not, I, I should. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is not just I got a couple left side wheels below the line. It is full bore. And... You know, Marcus Erickson and running second is there as well. Uh, so, you know, he's gone there as well as the trailing car, but he's just following. He's trying to get the draft. He's trying to get the run on Joseph. But, you know, if you've got three or four cars that have made that and the leader makes a really, really late decision, you could have just a horrific impact. I, I didn't think there was any question that the rule would get changed for 2024. Again, I don't blame Joseph either. Uh, most of what we've seen, though, with the weaving has been on the backstretch. That's been the predominant place where that's been the last few years. Uh, but certainly it was getting uh, worse on the front stretch. And it's really the front stretch where where I had the issue because you've got the attenuator, you've got fans, you've got, you know, 
you just have more trouble. You've got pit road. If you have an attenuator crash, uh, car slides down the pit road. We've got, you know, personnel theoretically in, in those spots. So I just thought it had to be changed. So Nathan Brown of the star asked some follow-up questions as, cause that was one of the first things that I wondered about is what's the penalty going to be. And we don't know at this point, Nathan asked, what's the penalty? Does it come with two wheels over or four? Um, what's the leading driver allowed to do in terms of snaking within the racing line? And his post says, IndyCar says these details are still being finalized. Now, also, this has not been a press release sent out by IndyCar uh, at this point. These were various reports with this information, with, I believe, quotes from Jay Fry, the president of IndyCar, kind of confirming all of this. So they're going to need to get that sorted, and the two and the four is a big deal, but it should be simple to do because it's a line. You know, it's not a judgment. It's a line. Now, for those of us that would like them immediately to say, this is the penalty. It is a drive-through. It is timed. I will say this. We ask those questions a lot of times. If this happens, what is the penalty? And the rule book, in most cases, says, I should have the wording in front of me, but yeah, it's up to us. And it's a case-by-case basis. There, in most cases, are not defined rules. It says it can be this, it can be this, it can be that. So from their side of things, that's one reason why this may not be totally set yet. I would think in this case, it would be in their best interest to what it's going to be. It needs to be go to the tail end of the lead lap. You know, you're desperately hoping this does not come into play because that would be a nightmare situation. If you black flagged, if you called a penalty on the driver leading the Indy 500, Four seconds before the checkered flag, your race call is going to be screwed up and everything along with that. But it's not like we're going to have a hard time defining this. And it's it's not like tech, you know, where you have to wait three hours to find out who is the winner. We're going to see that happen at the moment. And Diff and Townsend and Hinch are going to say, whoa, he looked like he dipped below the white line. Checkered flag waves. Bill Smith is the first to cross the line. We'll wait for the review. You know, something like that. Um, well, we've had two I, instances. I would, we've had huh? two instances where the car that crossed the finish line first did not get the Borg Warner trophy. It happened Good in, year. in 1995. Good year, right? Good yeah, year in 1995. He did not serve the penalty for the black flag for passing the pace car on a restart with whatever 10 or 12 laps to go. And another car that took the checkered flag first. Completed the distance first, we should say. I don't think he took the checkered flag, but Paul Tracy finished ahead of. Oh, yes. yes, yes. Ahead of Elio in 2002. Yes. Okay. So I'm not saying you, you can't work around that as a broadcaster. I appreciate the instantaneousness of the moment. You know, if you've got, Joseph and Marcus Erickson and both cars have gone between the between, under the line. Uh, and I think, I think you, you about need to protect yourself and have a clear, you know, they may have to go back to the video, but if the rule is two wheels or four wheels or whatever it is, I think you have here's, to know what it is. 
here's why I think if I'm IndyCar, I don't want to say definitively. Let's use this for example. Um, driver in second has a good run, and they're running on the low line coming out of four, and the path is open, and he's got the run. Car leading is in front is eight feet off the line. He swerves down to block, does it late. The car that's in second passing for the lead dips down below the white line to avoid getting run over and crashed and then gets back on the track. Well, there's a Should difference. Should black flag for that? There's a difference in being he forced below the line. Being forced down there. That's a different that is a different scenario yeah. than than what Joseph and essentially Marcus did in, in this particular case. There is a difference between being forced below the line. You know, there have been lines on the bottom of groove of the racetrack for many years, you know, and you could get below, you know, you weren't supposed to get below the white line. And if you were forced there, that was a different story. So that's a different argument. You just need to write that down. You know, you can you can put that in writing that if you're the lead car and you go down there, uh, then that should be pretty simple. But you just need to put something in there that if, you know, it can't just simply be if you go below the line, then you are automatically serving a drive-through or going to the end of the lead lap. Um, that's the And maybe there are other things that I'm not thinking about. There are always different scenarios. But the simple part of that is you're not going to win the race. And then they'll have to determine whether it's two or four. I suspect... I think there's a good chance it's going to be four. I think so, too. Yeah, I, I think you would probably still be allowed to touch it with your left wheels. And as long as your right wheels do not touch that line, I suspect that they will consider that good enough and we will start from that standpoint. And I also don't think anyone will really flirt with that. You know, I think just saying this, I would be shocked, whatever the rule comes up being, if they have to change the result of the Indy 500, no one's going to take a chance at that. I was so with you until with I, yeah, I was with you until just at the end when I thought no one will take a chance. And I thought, why wouldn't you take a chance to win the Indy 500? I mean, you know, you're really close. I hear you. I agree with you. I think you're going to err by a good foot or so. And I think these drivers are good enough that they can go down there and basically split the line with their car. And then it's going to depend on, can your right wheels touch the line? Or do you have to be all four inside? Touching the line is going to be very easy. They'll they'll still get down there and touch it with them. It would just be simply, do you have to be all the way clear? That still gives them, what, a foot and a half of leverage if the right wheels just barely touch that inside line. I don't think anyone will make that mistake. These guys are too good. These guys and yeah. the women that have done this on occasion as well are too good. Um, but it's a storyline. <laughs> it's going to be going to be fun. Can you outlaw the snake? No, I don't think you can. As long, you know, you, people have talked about, can you just limit them to one move? Maybe. Some racing series have done that. But the simple way has always been it's got to be proactive, not reactive. Well, let's keep in mind that Marcus Erickson tried the snake coming off turn two this year and got beat on it. I mean, he tried to go down and protect Joseph on the bottom 
coming out of turn two, and Joseph just went to the top and passed him. So I it, feel like what Joseph did there was not following Marcus into turn one with the snake. Well, exactly. I, My point is that yeah. Marcus tried to use the snake. So the snake in and of itself is not is not the you know the absolute way to victory lane. And I don't even think that's what we're talking about. The, the, the snake isn't really, I mean, I suppose somebody would argue with me, but it isn't necessarily a safety issue. Um, the safety issue we're talking about is how, how far to the left below the white line, the drivers were coming off turn four with the attenuator sort of in play. Had something gone wrong, we're talking about a safety issue in front of the pit road with, you know, 25 other cars charging behind them. That could have been, that could have been awful. Well, we also learned out of this when Joseph Newgarden posted on Twitter his response that this is the right move for the future. Boundaries are meant to be pushed and rules are meant to push back. You you should expect to see additional rule changes that will help rein in other driving standards at Indy without removing the ability for drivers to race hard. So he's making a point there that the drivers have had, you know, some other things that they're not super happy about. So, you know, let, let's don't just make this about, quote, my move, but let's look at the other things. But what I was getting to is we, and Jenna Fryer, I think, noted this. She did a screenshot of Joseph's profile. He's definitely gone full on no distractions. He follows no one now on Twitter. <laughs> Joseph has gone in a hole, no bus pros, no outside influences. <laughs> I will speak what I'm required to speak, and I am going to go to the racetrack, and I am going to do everything I can to win the championship this year with as few distractions as possible. Joseph, is he's a, he's a charm. Uh, bless <laughs> his heart. He's a charm. And we love him, and he does some funny things. And it's okay. He's a great race car driver. I'm so glad he's he's in this this era of the sport where we can enjoy him. And he is, uh, but he does he does push some envelopes, doesn't he? Uh, okay. Other Indianapolis Motor Speedway news. Another story out of the Indianapolis Star today. Some some different changes. I'm looking to see if I um. Kind of did a, a screen grab of what the highlights were of of that from today. New safer walls. So the foam. The foam. The foam, the foam inside. And I think did, did I even say that some see that some of the actual the hard shell has been replaced, which is always the case. It it gets timed out. And they have kind of a new technology that should make it last a little bit longer from that standpoint. There's also been some safer barrier put on the inside in places where it was not. So there's less concrete, which is always a good thing. And by the way, these things are always very, very expensive. Um, did some so, different things to the garage, you know, the garage, new roof things that we, we frankly probably won't notice, but things that have to be done at, at some point. The um, catch fencing in some areas. And I like the way... I think Doug Bowles had a quote that, you know, it kind of looks like it's not ever going to happen, but there's always the chance. And if we can raise something, put a little angle. So they've improved some areas in catch fencing in a couple of places, which I'm always excited about because that's the thing that frightens a lot of us the most. You know, that's the worst thing that can happen is a car go out of the ballpark when you're talking about an Indy car. So you're always trying to learn 
with technology available and they continue to upgrade there. Things that we will notice and can enjoy, three new video boards. Never can have enough video boards. Yeah. Yeah, the catch fencing is largely at the north end of the racetrack between turns three and four. And then coming off turn four is where the safer barrier uh, extra has been put in. Uh, new video boards, the primary one that I think you'll notice is on the inside of turn four on the oval so you can watch from the viewing mound much easier uh they have also and i think this is a, a great move i've you know i've walked around the speedway and the grandstand so many times i do it on my lunch break um or an afternoon stroll just to kind of you know clear my head of things i've been writing and so they've added a video board on the back side of the grandstand at turn mm -hmm. four you know there's great and they've replaced the one you know, we've we've I think most of us have seen the video board that's on the backside of uh, turn one grandstands as you come into the facility. But now there's one up there on the north end as well, because there's still an extraordinary amount of people that come in through that through that turn four entrance up there. And so gate nine and. And so now there's a video board there. So if you want to get out of the sun in the middle of the race or you're just going down to get, um, you know, refreshments or use the bathroom and you want to just stop and stand and watch a video board, there's one down there behind the grandstands, which is a really good idea and kind of long overdue. And, and as I walk around the facility, sometimes I had thought, boy, you know, the, the backside of turn four just never got the kind of attention that I thought it deserved. It's such a popular place to watch the race. And there really was never much back there from an entertainment standpoint, from a TV standpoint, from a video board standpoint, from concession standpoint, all that kind of fun stuff, if you will, was kind of at, at a different part of the racetrack. So I think that I applaud them for, for doing that. I probably should have mentioned this when we started this segment with that Joseph Newgarden voiced uh, hype piece or whatever you want to call it, promo, that coincided with instead of 100 days to Indy, so we're going to have to change the name of the documentary, 90 days to Indy is what was celebrated this year. And I think 100 days was on Valentine's Day. Isn't that right? So that's why uh, there was no official events. I think that was the case. Or maybe Well, you had the All-Star game and, and that, you know, that was... That was a coinciding. Lot of going on. Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, 90 days being celebrated. And with that, a little update on where things are going. And it sounds like that there is a chance that this could be a sellout this year. They're tracking with 2016, the only time in recent years where it's been a complete sellout. And they stopped selling tickets and removed the local blackout. Yeah. They stopped that ticket sales that year. In the first week of May, I think that was May 6th, if if memory serves. And yeah, I mean, tickets have been tracking almost neck and neck with 2016. I think they might be behind just a tad, but it's it's very, very close. And you have still 90 days left uh, of interest building. And I thought one thing that was interesting, and I believe this is true, because I don't think the Kyle Larson effect has taken place yet. I know there are a lot of people who know that Kyle Larson is going to be running the Indy 500, but I don't think until he gets on track for the open test April 10th and 11th and it gets real that I don't, I think that's where it's going to really start to, oh my gosh, Kyle Larson is going to run the Indy 500. And so I think that'll be, you know, once the NASCAR shows start talking about it on a more consistent basis 
and the month of May gets closer and closer and we start to see Kyle on track, I think the Kyle Larson effect could still have a big impact on tickets more so than, than you would have expected to this point. So I, I did a screen grab of this a few weeks ago and never got to it. But when you mentioned Kyle Larson, it reminded me of this that Indy 44 posted. So when the season started, Kyle was getting a lot of questions about, you know, how are you going to focus on your, your real job with the Indy 500 coming up? How much of a distraction is that going to be? And Kyle's answer was, I think everybody assumes I should be thinking about the Indy 500 every single waking moment. And then he goes on to say, essentially, I'm not. I'll think about it when I'm there. And I will run my uh, NASCAR and sprint car and everything else while I'm doing that. And then Indy 44, Matt found this quote from Eddie Sachs. And for those that don't remember, Eddie Sachs, what, won the poll two or three yep. times, a uh, famously popular driver in the late 50s, early 60s. And he was killed in that fiery 1964 crash with Dave McDonald but just one of the legends of the Speedway. Eddie Sachs' quote was, I think of Indianapolis every day of the year, every hour of the day, and when I sleep too. Everything I ever wanted in my life, I found inside the walls of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So Kyle Larson's not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't hang that on Kyle Larson. He's a, you can think about more than one thing, and his day job is something else. And Eddie Sachs... I don't think he did a whole lot of racing other than the Indianapolis 500 at that point in his career. There was a time when, you know, that's the race that paid the most, and they did some other racing, but there were some guys that that's pretty much all they did, right? The Indy well, 500. He, he, he ran more than that, but the no, but points I mean, well. in his career, was he not doing yeah, a whole I, I lot agree with other you. than Indy? I, I agree with you, but, it, you know, a lot of it's not to say that I'm I'm criticizing Eddie Sachs because I'm certainly not. He's one of the really intriguing figures in Indy 500 history. But we hear a lot of drivers talk about how much they think about it, the Indy 500. And just because Kyle said it somewhat differently doesn't mean he's not thinking about what this is going to be like. He's just being honest. He's just being and honest. Surely Eddie Sachs, when he's running at Salem, was not thinking about the Indy 500. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's yeah. let's not let's not get too get carried it. away. It's I'm, it's. I'm not trying to pound on Kyle Larson a little bit. It just I thought that was a funny quote. That's the difference. It there. was funny. It was but, funny. Kyle's going to have, we're Indy's going to have Kyle's full attention. Of course, and you cannot think about the Indy 500 every day because Kyle Larson is driving something else every single day. That's that's the way he is. Um, what next do we need to get to on my long list of topics and items? I would think, you know, tidying up the Indy 500 uh, there were reports, and I think this was a racer story about uh, painting a restart line uh, at at the venues, uh, so that IndyCar, like you know, at the last race of the season last year at Laguna Seca, there was a lot of issues on restarts, people jumping the the last corner and and so forth. But uh, Jay Fry was talking about having a having a restart line that you couldn't pass until you got to that line, whether you're second in line or 15th, yeah, um, you can't pass to get to that line, so, which would allow, and the, it'll be a, the line would be at a different spot at different tracks because there's, you know, varying distances between 
kind of the last corner and the start finish line. So rather than, you know, trying to gauge a consistent line, there will be a line based on which racetracks they're at. We'll see it in place at St. Pete and you can't pass before you get to that line. So it doesn't matter where you, it doesn't matter where the, when the caution comes out or the green flag comes out, it doesn't matter where you are. It's where you can't pass till you get to that line. I know the next thing I wanted to mention, we, we know when there will be cars on the track at Indianapolis again as part of the hybrid testing. So kind of round two was last week and by all accounts and reports, it went well again. So this is two straight tests where they're making progress this time. Uh, we saw Errol McLaren and Andretti get a chance at this. And now finally the other teams will get a chance. And I know this, and we've seen some on the record quoting this too. This is one of the big challenges of this second half of the season. Uh, I've heard a couple of different people have told me the plan is mid Ohio. So sometime in early July, but nothing is set there, but, and even big teams, are not real happy. Outside of Penske and Ganassi, they have the biggest leg up. Then Errol McLaren and Andretti have the next best chance. The first time some of these teams are going to get this car is, is coming up March 28th and 29th at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So uh, that's when we'll see several other cars on the road course at Indianapolis. And then you're going to have the oval testing on April 10th and 11th for the Indianapolis 500. So uh, that sounds all good on that front, that the hybrid car is making progress. And, you know, while we are not necessarily going to notice it as fans, I do get that it is relevant. This is the technology that has made sense to me. I have, I think you might be in this category too. I have um, been unable to see the allure of electrification with cars as much has been put into this. And my thought on this all along is, you know, until we get to the point where it's convenient and it's a hundred percent that I'm going to be able to refill the energy in my car. If I want to make a three hour drive, I'm not getting one. And by the way, they're more expensive and people tell me they are also more expensive to repair. Well, it sounds like the automotive industry is now getting to that. And we're seeing more and more announcements of manufacturers that are saying, eh, all right, we're backing off. We're no longer really putting a priority on electrification. So there was, you know, we wondered this five years ago. Are we missing, when I say we, IndyCar, are we missing the boat by being first to electric? Most of us didn't really want to go that path, but wondered, are we missing an opportunity? Turns out we were not because we are a long way away from being there as far as in mainstream society. So combustion engines still have a future and they can work in a combination with hybrid. And I think I saw Roger Penske mention this recently. Makes sense to me. Renewable fuels seems like a good opportunity too, if you're interested in the environment. Yeah, I agree with that. It's um, sometimes uh, it kind of works out for you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and all the money that has been spent on that. And Not my money. I haven't spent it. You know, I actually even thought about a Tesla a few years ago because they were they were offering nice um, rewards with, with, for lack incentives. of incentives, incentives to do that. And that's a nice car, but then it's still really expensive. And then I thought, but you, 
I can't drive it to Nashville, Tennessee. Or if I wanted to go to Florida, my nightmare was a couple of years ago at San Francisco. Maybe this was last year. I flew in there for Laguna Seca. You couldn't find a combustion engine car in the rental car center. It was nothing but electric. I had to go in and ask to go find one hidden away somewhere. I said, I'm driving to the middle of nowhere. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to plug in. And I've got a two-hour round trip, a four-hour round trip drive. Uh, it's just not doable at this point. But in San Francisco, you are expected to be electric. And good for you. But if you have to leave San Francisco, it doesn't feel very safe. Yeah. And, you know, if you're low on electric and, and you got to get back to the airport to catch a flight and you got to, you know, charge back up for the next 45 minutes, that's not going to work very well. Yep. All right. Uh, I know there's some other things I want to get into, and we're going to open the Twitter inbox too coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5-1075-The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, let's get to some other things along with going to the Xbox. Never had an <laughs> Xbox. The Twitter inbox. You said you were going to open the inbox. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I saw this uh, today several times. And I'm looking forward to it. But I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. And it's coincidental that I just stood and chatted with Susie Weldon for 20 minutes or so uh, yesterday. I, I went down to NOLA to do the media training, as I've done the last few years for the USF Pro Championships drivers. And since I've been doing it every year for a while, because I've conveniently been there, we decided to change up the message a little bit this year. And I brought in some help and I had James Hinchcliffe join me. And we we did it more as a sort of a navigating the motorsports world with a tie into what Hinch and I are doing with Speed Group and uh, managing and advising some families and young drivers. And after I finish, I look over and, hey, that's Susie. And I forgot that Sebastian is in the USF Pro Championships. He is driving in USF Juniors, was fastest, by the way, in the first practice session yesterday. You can go online and you can find all of that uh, for uh, really tight times and I think some surprises in the times, testing, so you never know. But they're racing at NOLA this year, so that was helpful for everyone. I missed being there. I'm going to ramble some different thoughts. It was good to be back because the last time it was a monsoon, Hinch won, by the way, in 2015. That's another event. I know it wasn't an awesome facility, but it's not a bad facility, especially if there's not uh, 10 inches of rain over a couple of days. But it's flat. You can see most of the track 
which is kind of cool. And they have a really nice building facility for some hospitality. Not a ton of it, but you still have the chance to put up the temporary suites behind the grandstand. And I think it could have worked, but the, the circumstances just kind of held against that. I would, I'd want to talk to a driver and what they thought of the actual track. But in my mind, I wouldn't rule that out down the road as if you need a track, that's that's a market that is interesting. Some people might want to go there. It didn't work around that time. But as I was chatting, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we think about when you're driving there and you've never been to to the racetrack and you're driving and you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and you're not in downtown New Orleans. And, and in fact, you know, you feel like you're really a long way from downtown. There's a PGA event literally across the street from the racetrack where they really? host. Yeah. That's a PGA event and at, at that golf course. And so, you know, it's, it's not as far fetched as, as what, you know, it's like 23 minutes. It was an yeah. easy, I stayed downtown. It was 23 minutes or so. So, so it could work. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, it could as work. Close as, it's closer than Barber. It's closer than an awful lot of places. So that's not a big issue. And there are a lot of hotels there. So I walked out to the pit lane uh, during the practice and stood along the fence and talked to Susie for a while. And she said, hey, did you get the invitation? And this goes back to the Emma's account being closed. No one, apologies if you tried to email me. If I haven't responded, uh, and I was locked out of my new Urban One radio account over the weekend, but I think I've got that sorted. So I gave her you know, my new email and she texted it to me, but they're doing a premiere in St. Petersburg like they did in Indianapolis that I, I didn't find out about until too late uh, on Thursday of race week. And then I see today that it's going to be on HBO Max. It so is. it's got wide stream distribution debuts on March 12th, and I know it's going to be awesome. And it ends with the positive hope of his boys now kind of getting into where he is and both are massively talented. Doesn't mean they're they're there, but they've got the combination of they've got talent and they've got Gainbridge and Dan Taurus and Andretti backing them. So, you know, my my money is on them making the IndyCar because they have they have the hardest thing to get, and that's financial backing. And they're good enough to get there. I know that's hard to say for a 13 or 14 year old, but I will be surprised if Sebastian is not good enough to get there and get a chance at this. And I want to see this. I don't know that I want to see it with a crowd, though, uh, because it's it's going to be tough. But well, I'm so glad they made it, and I think I'll enjoy it even more in 20 years. Yeah, uh, it's going to be difficult for me to watch it. And I think the world of Susie and and the boys, and I mean, I don't really know the boys, but I know Susie really well. And, and I just know that that day, in in Las Vegas was the hardest, most emotional 17 hours of my my professional career. And there's not anything that comes close. And I've covered a lot of of very difficult moments from Scott Brayton, you know, Stan Fox's injuries. Yeah. I mean, I've had some some tough days at the racetrack. Justin Wilson, obviously, uh, Robert Wickens's crash. There isn't anything even in the worst of days it compares to the Weldon day, just with all the, all the carnage on the racetrack and, and just all that went with it. Uh, Dan was close to all of us 
Uh, we all try to be objective as journalists, which I was at the time, but Dan, we were close to Dan and uh, it's going to be a hard, hard documentary documentary for me to watch. I have so much respect for her to want to, because you can you imagine how hard is it for her? And she had to go through all of this and now she has to promote it and talk about it. Um, but I, I'm sure she felt like this needs to be done. We want to, one, I want to have something for the boys for them to be able to get to know their dad because one did not know him at all and the other barely knew him as a toddler and likely has very little to no memories at all. So she is doing it for the right reasons. And I greatly respect and appreciate her having what has to be just a horrible time going to these premieres, chatting about Dan and everything that comes along with that. So I will always support her and anything she does in this regard with that. And I encourage people to see this and it's going to coincide nicely. So I have canceled a few of my many, many, many subscriptions, but I want to see the new Curb Your Enthusiasm. So what I usually do is wait for it to get a few episodes in and I'll binge watch it. So that's what I'll do. I'll get HBO Max and be able to see this and Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. By the way, just a thought, someone was lamenting the number of streaming uh, accounts you need to have now and how cumbersome they are. And, you know, to watch NASCAR next year, you're going to need to have about five different accounts uh, along with television and so forth. And he said, you know, what, what, what if, what if there was some, something, <laughs> somebody came up with an idea of combining them all together and there would be no lag when switching and you just flip around like we did when we had four channels way back in the day. And, oh, wait a minute. They had that. It was called cable TV. And I think it, that's a, I think that's the second time you've posed that on this show. And so, yeah. But, yeah well, here's yeah, the yeah. other thought. If I'm Comcast, you know, Comcast hasn't given up on cable television. Sometimes things make a resurgence. I won't count out Comcast. At some point, maybe somebody says, you know what? We were doing it the right way. So I'm thinking about buying some Comcast stock. Because yeah. I could see that coming back into Vogue that at some point everybody says, no, I'm paying more than I was before, and it's less convenient than it was before. I want someone to put them all together in one place. Yeah, I'm I'm not of the complaining sort because I only pay for the things I want, but at least I have a choice that I didn't have with cable. But that's how, this is a whole other story. I, I don't know what else is in your Twitter inbox, but I would like to get to one thing that I didn't know about that Indianapolis Motor Speedway was doing, and I read in Nathan Brown's story, was they are creating a secondary platform for selling and reselling your tickets. People hang on to their tickets at Indianapolis Motor Speedway because they've had them for 30 and 40 and 60 years. And so sometimes you can't go. And what do you do with the tickets? And in order to kind of clean up the or help clean up the the back end of selling and reselling, the Speedway within the next 30 days is going to announce a platform whereby you can, without losing your seniority and your standing with the ticket office, you could resell your tickets for, for face value, I would assume. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be at least a platform that yeah. you can buy and and sell tickets. So I think that is that is very forward thinking. I don't know how many big sporting events have that kind of platform that they control, 
that's not in somebody else's control? Maybe it's more. I think it's more common now. I believe you can do that with the Cubs, that they are partnered with someone. And it's just the certainty that this is on the up and up. Because yes. I, I bought a scalped ticket to a Cubs game one time and gave the guy my money. And he hands me a ticket and yells, cops, and starts running. There were no cops. He was handing me, it was a ticket, but it was behind a pole. It was not at all what it was supposed to be, so he took off. So, But now there there is a legitimate place that you can be. And essentially, it's a way for the state and the city to collect taxes on things. Sure. And, And they can even sell them, they will sell them for a profit. So this is good. You just feel more confident about what you're buying if you know it's officially attached with the people that are selling you tickets. So I like that. Paul Ingram uh, posts this. Uh, we were both retiring this year. Our plan was to fly in for the Brickyard midweek, stay for IndyCar and Xfinity, then fly home Sunday during the cup race. Saturday was my favorite TV racing day. Any chance for IndyCar and Xfinity to share a road course weekend? Well, not at Indianapolis in 2024, but I wouldn't rule it out for the future. Never rule things out. I I would say this. I don't have a great deal of optimism for that. But you never know what where it can make the most sense is maybe some of the standalone weekends. I don't have the NASCAR schedule in front of me. I should have looked this up. But, you know, if they're at mid-Ohio and Portland, that might make sense. But honestly, I think it makes more sense for NASCAR than it does for IndyCar. This is kind of the other way around. NASCAR and Xfinity race takes up a lot of paddock space. And I I worked the Road America Xfinity race last year, and there was not... They could have used IndyCar. They could have used sports cars, something else. It was not a good crowd. There was not a lot of energy there. But then if you combine it with IndyCar, where are you putting everybody? Mm -hmm. You could get rid of some of your support races and do something like that. If I'm IndyCar, that's where I think IndyCar has some leverage. I would be open to doing that if you can combine with NASCAR somewhere else for a cup weekend. You know, a little give and take there in that circumstance. So uh, I'd love to see it. You know, hopefully there is something like that down the road for one of those opportunities. Joseph Hall asked, has NBC Peacock's coverage of Indy this year been finalized? In other words, will practice be covered like last year on Tuesday through Friday? I will let them make those such announcements. I don't know why anything would change, but I have not seen that officially announced at this point. Have you? No, the the May schedule from a TV standpoint has not been announced except for uh, race weekends. Uh, what else? Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan. What's your take on Fox Sports' interest in getting the 2025 television package? What's my take on that? <laughs> As I've said, I am probably going to refrain from most of these things. I will share reports. I don't think we got to this because, you know, honestly, we have a lot of things going on at this point. Uh, I am actively watching as well. Um, I have thoughts where I would like it to go, but you know the reality is this: if NBC doesn't keep the contract, I don't know how much work NBC has for me, and I am a freelancer, and I have worked for Fox before while I was working for NBC. You have to get everybody to kind of agree on that. So essentially, wherever it goes next year. I- I prefer, I like status quo. I love NBC. They gave me a chance. I'm rooting for them. That would be my best case scenario. 
But if it doesn't come to fruition and it ends up somewhere else, I'm going to be on the horn and hoping I can get a job somewhere else because I would like to continue working on IndyCar broadcasts. You'd like My to continue. contract is up, as you would expect. It coincides with the length of the IndyCar contract. And you would just like to be working, period. So I want to work. Yes. Not <laughs> yeah. working is not a very good option uh, at this point. Uh, what else do I want to get to? I think we are out of time in this segment. Oh, I still haven't even shared why we released some news today. So we'll tell you about what's going on on that front and what we missed and more coming up in a moment. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment. Uh, as I mentioned, we help the news along a little bit. We like things to come out on show days. And my son, Jackson Lee, had an announcement today. And it was a, a different kind of an announcement uh, because he is confirmed for the next two events and back-to-back weekends in Florida for different teams. So we decided let's have it run through Speed Group, which is now technically – Jackson's manager, because I'm working as an advisor with Speed Group. That's Tony Calderon and James Hinchcliffe's uh, management company. We kind of help advise families and young drivers. Uh, so Jackson had a one-race deal to run for Stephen Simpson's Porsche team, Zabok Simpson Motorsports at Daytona and VP Challenge, because we just didn't have the budget confirmed for the season. And if he crashed, it's $200,000. Our season is over. Well, it went well, and a one-race contract kind of worked out to our advantage because his manager, me, got a lot of calls with a lot of good opportunities, including some different series that were very, very intriguing and just some more options. We really like Steven, tried to come up with a creation and a solution to keep him with them. So here's what we're doing. He's going to run with a different team in VP Challenge, single driver series. Can't really do a lot on the budget. It is what it is in an Aston Martin at St. Pete during the IndyCar weekend. Vanderstor Racing is that team. And then he's going to shift up to the higher Michelin Pilot Challenge. This is the one that Robert Wickens is in. Jackson will be in the top class. So he's the, quote, pro driver racing against Jack Hawksworth and Aaron Tielitz and people like that. And this is back with Steven Simpson's Porsche team. So we're really excited. It's going to be cool. And uh, it's going to be busy. And it also means... He'll race during the IMSA weekend in September at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We're out of time. We'll talk more about it next week, Tuesday night. Join us again at 7 on Trackside.